Hello and welcome to the Luke Miller Podcast. I'm excited for today. On this episode, we're going to be looking at how we can date the book of Malachi, even though there is nothing in the book saying when it happened. We're also going to look at the historical context and go a little deeper into an introduction to the book of Malachi as we start our new series where we go deeper each week into one of the chapters uh, of Malachi and the 12th prophet in the Minor Prophets. I'm excited and I'm glad you're joining me. As we jump into our podcast, it's good that we take a look at Malachi. Uh, It is widely known that Malachi, along with the last uh, four chapters of Zechariah, are some of the toughest chapters to read in the Bible, not only for understanding the context back then, understanding the context for first century Christians, and understanding what it means for us today. It's very easy for us to either A, skim over it, or B, just ignore it altogether, which would then mean that we are not looking at all of God's Word when we study God's Word. And so, studying Malachi is not just to check a box, but it is very relevant to where we are in today's culture. And and it's really setting up so much of what happens in the first chapters of the Gospels. And as we start to read of John the Baptist coming on the scene after 400 years of silence from God, that silence uh, started with the end of Malachi. And so it's good for us to be able to take a look at at it and go deeper so we can have a, a broader understanding of it. And my hope is that for each week when we do this, we're just going to go uh, deeper and deeper uh, into a better understanding of how God can speak to us through the prophet Malachi and, and one of the great books of the Bible. So what do we know about Malachi? That's probably the first place that we should uh, start Uh, One of the uh, little is known about Malachi as a prophet, apart from what may be gleaned from the book, because this is a book that is very much a conversation between the prophet and God, uh, we can get a bit of a perspective on on who Malachi is from the questions that he asks. But he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Old or New Testaments. Uh, And Malachi, however, is included in a book called The Lives of the Prophets, which is actually a Jewish collection uh, of of books uh, from around the 4th century. Now, I say this because it's not a biblical book, but it is an extra-biblical source. And one of the things that we'll be looking today at as we look at the dating and the setting of Malachi is saying, how can we use archaeology? How can we use linguistics even and language? How can we use other extra biblical sources from the countries around Israel to make a stronger case for uh, for the prophet, for the book? Uh, and, and it's a very important thing that we do. Uh, an example of this would be in the book of Esther, as we were able to follow the timeline and see that there was a King Xerxes, and see that from the Persian records. And so it allows us to see that the story of Esther is actually happening during a time period. It's not a, a fairy tale. We actually see that the, the people mentioned in the book are are real people. Well, we can do that with Malachi as well. And uh, a collection of Jewish traditions called the Lives of the Prophets from 4th century AD help us do that. Uh, there it is said that Malachi was born in Sophia, uh, a place 
uh, otherwise unknown after exile. Uh, but it says that even in boyhood, he lived a blameless life. And since all the people paid honor for his piety and his mildness, they called him Malachi, meaning angel. And we'll we'll talk about uh, his name in just a moment. Uh, what it also says is, whatever things he uttered in prophecy were repeated on the same day by the angel of God who appeared. So it, it talks about some extra biblical sources, some events where we see uh, Malachi being recognized as a prophet of God. And that's uh, very important, uh, especially as we look at it. It also mentions that it happened in the days when there was no king in Israel. Uh, and and we can see this in a few, uh, we'll see this again also today, that as we're taking a look at who Malachi is and what his name is, um, we'll see that we can use the dating system that, that we have from other places to help recognize us. We know that now from the lives of the prophets and from this extra biblical source that there was no king in Israel. So that puts us at a post-exilic, after-exile time, probably during Ezra and Nehemiah uh, and, and around that. Now, uh, as we go go further into this, let's take a look at Malachi and, and the name of it. Malachi literally means my messenger. Often we translate this as messenger of God. And in, in Hebrew, the personal name of God, in English we pronounce it Yahweh, uh, but in Hebrew you don't pronounce that. It's used with four letters. We call it the Tetragrammaton. And the Tetragrammaton is four letters, Yod, He, Vav, He in Hebrew. And that is the personal name of God, the name of God that is uttered at uh, at the burning bush, uh, when God says, I am the I am, that is the tetragrammaton. Uh, and, and and in keeping with tradition and out of reverence, even today when you're teaching Hebrew, when it comes to the personal name of God, we don't uh, pronounce it that way. In fact, the vowels that occur underneath that four-letter word of God, the, the tetragrammaton is pronounced Adonai, and the vowels reflect saying, the, or reflect the pronunciation of Adonai, meaning Lord or Master. And it's almost—it's actually a very interesting side note that, that you know, to the Jewish people, uh, it holds such reverence, uh, and yet we've kind of fit that uh, word and tried to pronounce it as, as Yahweh, uh, as Jehovah sometimes, and so uh, to the Jewish culture, that is not something that is a good thing. Uh, and so um, I, I, so I say this all leading already down a rabbit trail, but when we look at the name of God, and whenever a, a person in the Bible has those four letters of the Yod, the He, the Vav, and the He, which are the four letters in the name of God, whenever someone has those letters in their name, it is called a, a divine name. Uh, and that means possessive of God. And so that's where it starts to bring out a, a much better picture of Malachi's mission and purpose, where instead of just simply being my messenger, it now comes off as messenger of God. And because of those four letters being in there. And when we when we look at uh, even further at what's happening with with Malachi, again, we can see, uh, we can see a few things. Um, when it comes to dating, 
uh, and the dating of Malachi, there's nothing there. Um, I, I wish we had something, uh, but there's nothing there. So far, what we've seen from extra biblical sources is that there is uh, no king in Israel at that time, which would put us either at the time of Judges, which we know it is not because of the context, or at the time uh, that is after exile, uh, after they've returned from Babylon or uh, Persia. And so the exact dating of Malachi can't actually happen using the book of Malachi itself uh, without cross-referencing it with both other books of the Bible and a few other places in Scripture. And, and that's where we find ourselves. And this is, if you indulge me here with uh, listening to a bit of, uh, I want to say, nerding out a little bit as I look at how how as biblical scholars were able to decipher some of this, um, one of the ways in which we can do this is, again, the extra biblical sources. There's no exact date established for Malachi, and, and internal evidence can be used to deduce an approximate date. One of the things that we see is that the term for governor, uh, pechach, is, is a late Persian term. Uh, and it, it didn't come into effect till also, it didn't start getting used until a little later on uh, in the Persian Empire. We see that this is also cross-referenced, the specific word uh, in Nehemiah and in Haggai. So this indicates um, that the book was written during the Persian domination of Israel in our initial broad stroke of the timing puts uh puts Malachi at between 539 and 5 and 333 BC. Now I know what you're saying. Luke, that's 200 years. That's not really narrowing it down a, a bunch. But we have to go in stages. This is using our internal sources. First, go to the Bible first. We see Nehemiah Haggai referencing this word pechach for governor. Before that, we don't see it in any of the other books, and we know that this is a Persian-influenced word. So we know it has to happen within that 200 years. Now, the next part, as we get a little closer and get a little more specific, uh, taking a look at the dating, we see that sacrifices were being offered in the temple. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, and chapter 3, uh, 8, we see that, again, the temple, uh, it's referencing temple uh, sacrifices. Now, if we want to go even further on that, we know that the temple was rebuilt in 516 BC. And so uh, evidently in our story, many uh, years have passed since the offerings were instituted because priests had grown tired of them and corruptions had crept into the system. This is again what we see, uh, what we see looking at just Malachi itself. For temple sacrifices to happen, it has to happen after 516. And then for corruption to creep in, it has to have a little time to pass as well. They were very excited with the temple and the sacrifices being able to happen again. And then out of that, um, they slowly grow tired of the ritual of temple sacrifices. So that narrows it down now from 539, between 539 and 333 to sometime after 516 when the temple was built. 
Now, let's let's hone in on on something that is happening between Malachi and Nehemiah. Uh, because we see some key topics that also point out. We know that it's probably post-exilic, which puts us at the time of Nehemiah. We also uh, know that there's a lot of unity in some of the issues that Nehemiah is dealing with and some of the issues that uh, that Malachi is dealing with. The first is corrupt priests. Uh, in Malachi chapter 1, and the main first section of Malachi in chapter 1 uh, through to chapter 2, we see it's dealing with corrupt priests and corrupt leadership. This is something that is also occurring in Nehemiah chapter 13. Secondly, we see that that there is God stating uh, that the people are neglecting their tithes and their offerings in, in chapter 3 of Malachi. This is also reflected in chapter 13 of Nehemiah, verses 10 through 13. And finally, there is the intermarriage with pagan wives in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Uh, And this is also reflected in Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 23 through 28. And so we can see that that there's a lot going on and cross-referencing between Nehemiah and, and Malachi. So if we take into account that there's so much crossover happening, we then have to understand that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, and we know Nehemiah's ministry uh, because of both Persian records and from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah came to Jerusalem in 444 BC. Again, narrowing that window down, he came to rebuild the walls, and and he came 13 years after Ezra's return and reforms in 444. 457 BC. So Nehemiah returned to Persia in 432, but came back to Israel at about 425. And he dealt with the sins that are described in Malachi. And and so what all of a sudden we have is knowing that Nehemiah left for Persia in 432, he came back seven years later. Um, It is most likely uh, that Malachi proclaimed his message between in that time where Mal, where Nehemiah was gone. So now we know that in the seven years of the seven years that we see uh, in ne- or see Nehemiah being gone are probably the seven years of Malachi. So four thirty two to four twenty five, and this is now to put it in perspective of a larger picture. This is almost a century after Haggai and Zechariah began their ministries in five twenty. So, so looking at this, and again, thank you for allowing me to indulge myself in, in looking at <laughs> going deeper, uh, but I find this fascinating, right? Because we're able to use, again, linguistics, using that term of governor and seeing where it occurs elsewhere in the Bible and find out it only happens in a certain time period. Then we're able to look at other biblical sources and look at Nehemiah and see the same themes pointing out. So it we also know that there was no king in Israel. Uh, and every time we take another step, we move a little closer. Uh, and we look at uh, our date becoming more specific. Uh, until the the point where we're actually able to use uh, Nehemiah, we're able to use the lives of the prophets, an extra biblical source. We're, a- uh, we're able to use linguistics to break it down to a seven-year period, which Originally, only five minutes ago, was a 200-year span that we were looking for Malachi. 
I think it's really impressive that we're able to do that stuff when we look at, take that deeper look at at certain books and use um, other resources that are available to us. And and so uh, with Malachi never mentioning anything in his book about dating, we now have a very specific date of uh, 432 to uh, 425. Uh, if we take a look uh, at the overall um, road to everything that is is happening here and, and understanding a bit more of what Malachi is doing. Uh, if we're looking at some of the themes um, and some of the settings even, we know that um, Haggai and Zechariah and their prophecies have not yet been fulfilled. Uh, it is uh, a source of both frustration and anger for God. And the people of Israel have become disillusioned and and doubtful about life returning to what it used to be. You can probably see already how this plays right into what we're dealing with right now in our historical context of life trying to return to normal. (laughs) And here we see Israel become disillusioned and doubtful, and that anger and that doubt turns to God. And they began to question God's providence uh, as their faith uh, now starts to in- have a lot of cynicism in it. And and we'll see this because in Malachi, they question God multiple times uh, with, with statements and denials uh, when God makes an accusation towards them. God says, how have you loved, or I have loved you. And immediately Israel responds by saying, really, how have you loved us? Um. God says, you've despised my name, and they respond, how have we done that? You know, and it goes goes through several different uh, key, well, six different key accusations that God makes against them, and then they turn it around and turn it on God. God accuses them of of forgetting his covenant, of of tiring God, of, of robbing God and speaking out against God. And every time God makes that accu- an accusation, the people come back with how. <laughs> how have we done that? Oh, we haven't done that. That's not true. Uh, and and this is where Malachi is really based in, is, is this argument and through conversational and through a dialogue, um, which is... Uh, unique in and of itself. Uh, one of the the things that uh, I find very kind of cool is that it is a it is a dialogue. Uh, it is dealing with disappointment. It is dealing with discouragement. Um, it's dealing with attitude uh, of whether it is worth serving God. Uh, and again, uh, it is very much. If I was to give a or overarching theme, it's not just return to me. God saying return to me, like He says to the people. Uh, of Israel so often. It's uh, calling them back to a, a vibrant worship with the living God. Um, and and through the disbelief, the disappointment, the discouragement, through the attitude that they have, all of a sudden focusing on God's continuing and everlasting love uh, to break them out of that uh, spiritual laziness in many ways. And, 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 and really tell them that the lack of blessing is caused by their own disobedience. And and God gives them that option. Repent and you will be blessed. And he puts that in the hands of Israel. Uh, and, a, and and if not, a day of reckoning is is upon them, it says. Uh, and so, so Malachi does explore a lot of this. The 
the privilege of of the nation and uh, the pollution of that nation and then the promise for that nation. Uh, and uh, the, the, when I say that and, and breaking it down, I, I, I think one of the ways, I mean, we'll look at this next week uh, a little more uh, about how we, how Malachi looks at, at God viewing the people of Israel and, and who that nation says it is. I think that's a very good question for us in our own context. Uh, when we, when we say who's God in America um, and, and, and starting to address that and and take a look at that. And Malachi has got a whole lot of information that is going to be uh, very uh, very relevant to where we are. But but now uh, we finish by by really saying that that in all of this, uh, as we go deeper, we've got a better understanding of the setting. We got a better understanding of the time. Uh, and, and understanding the setting goes a long way to laying out a pathway to how it is relevant for us. The Germans call it the Seitzenleben. You want to be able to use the original context and how the first hearers of the word would have understood it. Uh, and to understand that the people of Israel were in a place of, of spiritual laziness, that that Nehemiah had been trying uh, and, and been frustrated and and we see that Haggai and Zechariah's prophecies had not yet come to, to pass. We also see that, that Malachi is frustrated. Nehemiah comes back. He's more frustrated. Uh, and, and it's frustration at the nation of Israel not turning to God. And I don't have to draw too many lines to say that that is going to have a very uh, f- fresh relevance to us where we are right now. And even in the even in the doubt, even in, at times, the disappointment or the discouragement, uh, there is still that call to return to me. Uh, and God constantly gives that. I'm going to leave it at there today because I could go on forever. But you know what? Next week, uh, I'm really excited about this as we'll continue going deeper. I'm going to look at how Malachi explores the privilege of the nation, the the pollution of the nation, and the promise of of the nation of Israel, and I'll see what that means for us. I'm also going to take a look at one of the more difficult passages that often stops us from reading Malachi right from the very beginning, which is uh, God talking about loving uh, loving Jacob and hating Esau. And we get this interesting dialogue happening in the very first chapter, which uh, often is a very confusing part. Again, I, as I said, this is one of the uh, Malachi in the last three, four chapters of Zechariah, some some of the hardest chapters in the Bible to read. But when we start to unpack it, it's not that difficult and it is so relevant. So I am going to leave it there for us today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, hopefully you find this fascinating. I know I do uh, as as we figure out dating and setting and and, and really understanding the overall context of what's what's happening and getting a better picture of what God is going to be saying to us by understanding how it was to those first readers. So with that, I will say take care, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>